Good morning. Today I will be reading from 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 15. Now concerning the ministry to the saints, it is unnecessary for me to write to you, for I know your eagerness, and I boast about you to the Macedonians. Archaea has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you in this matter would not prove empty, and so that you would be ready, just as I said. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame in that situation. Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised, so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thank you. So we are continuing our Head, Heart, Hands and Holy Worship series. And as I mentioned last week, we're going to continue looking at the concept of generosity, which we started last week. And um, we saw kind of the, the doctrine, the theology, the, the biblical basis for uh, generosity and giving last week. And today we're going to be looking at the heart of generosity. And next week we're going to look at the practical implications for living a generous life. Now, one of the passages most often quoted when we talk about church giving is verse 7 of this passage, uh, which is that don't give uh, begrudgingly or out of compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, and uh, this is the place in the Bible where it says, you know, God blesses those who give generously and it is a place where God says he loves those who give cheerfully. And now from just those two things, we can see that this is actually a kind of a dangerous passage in Scripture. It is dangerous because we can very easily uh, misunderstand, first of all, what Paul is intending to say to the Corinthian church at a very specific time and place. And it is dangerous because we can, uh, this passage can be easily kind of misused, I guess, um, by churches to deceive people uh, into giving in ways that are ungodly. And we want to don't, not do either of those two things. And so, uh, so today we're going to be looking at this passage from three different angles uh, to make sure that we, that we actually understand it firstly correctly and secondly that we apply it properly to our lives. The first thing we're going to be looking at is the context of this generosity teaching. 
The second, we're going to look at the cause of generosity. And thirdly, the consequence of generosity. So the cause, sorry, the context, the cause, and the consequence. The context we find in verses 1 to 5. Now, uh, I want to say only two things about the context. The context is that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Paul is in Macedon. He's talking to the Macedonian churches. And there is a financial trouble situation in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is under financial strain. And so the other churches around the area want to support the church in Jerusalem. And so Paul has been traveling around with his companions and he's been encouraging people to give generously to support the gospel work in Jerusalem. And that's the context. That's all I need to say about that. So that's point one. Point two, uh, we're doing really well this morning. Uh, the cause of generosity. So, um, so Paul is writing to the Corinthian church at the time. He wants them to support the, the people in Jerusalem. Uh, and then he goes through a very complicated and convoluted sort of thinking in Paul's classic style uh, and that, that we need to explore. And so we're going to do this actually upside down and back to front. And we look at the cause of generosity first. Now, um, to understand this, I want to introduce to us two imaginary farmers. They are both at the end of a, a bumper crop, a harvest year, which uh, just this massive harvest has come in. They're standing at the bottom of these mountains of grain, and they look up and they both start reflecting on the hard work which they have done in order to get this harvest in, in, uh, in place, to, to the place where it is now. They were both diligent farmers. They woke up each morning very early during planting season. They cultivated the soil. They carefully planted the seeds at just the right seed ratio to soil distribution. Uh, they made sure the crops had water when they needed water. Uh, they kept the pests away and they did everything that was necessary to produce a great big crop. And it worked. Their hard work paid off. And so here at the end of the year, they're at the end of the, the harvest season, and they start reflecting on how amazing this result has been. They sowed, you know, um, uh, one handful and they gathered a hundred handfuls of seed for each handful of seed they distributed. Now, our two farmers are two different people, and so their thought process goes through two different ways. Farmer number one. Uh, has a different heart condition than farmer number two. And so his thought goes in one direction. He reflects on this bountiful harvest, this mountain of grain he's standing in front of, and he thinks about all the hard work that he has done this year. And the more he thinks about the hard work and the effort that he put into the, the harvest, the more the harvest becomes his harvest. He doesn't want to give any of it away because he is the one who ultimately made it happen. It was, after all, the fruit of his very hard labor. Now, if someone asks him to share some of the harvest with those in the town that are doing it tough, he, he actually might still do so, but he's doing so thinking that he's losing some of what is rightfully his, and he gives begrudgingly because the harvest is actually his. That's farmer number one. Farmer number two stands in front of a very similar sized mountain of grain and he thinks about the bountiful harvest. And as he does so, his mind goes to the true producer of the crop. And he thinks about who's the one who made the soil. 
Who is the one that caused this farmer to be born into the family that he was, that he ultimately guided his life path and gave him the right opportunities, the right education to be a successful farmer? And he starts to think about who it is that makes the rain fall and the sun shine and who it is that actually causes the seeds to germinate and grow. And his mind wanders to all the gifts that God has given him. And as he reflects on this, the farmer starts to realize that actually he too is but a tool that God has used to produce this crop. He's an instrument that God has used to produce this bumper crop. The soil, the water, the crop, the farmer and the produce all actually belong to God. And now he hears about those in the town that are doing it tough and what happens now? Well, he realizes that it all belongs to God anyway, so he gives not sparingly, not begrudgingly, but gratefully with thanksgiving, recognizing that it is the Lord who gives and the Lord who takes away, and so blessed be the name of the Lord. And these are the two options that are open to us as we reflect on the bountiful harvest that we have too. And the Apostle Paul in our text lays the foundation for what we need to cultivate a heart like farmer number two. And what does he say? Well, let's have a look. Paul's main argument is that we will be generous people, that we will have a generous heart when we remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So our generous heart is created when we think about God's generosity and his indescribable gift in Jesus. In fact, Paul makes this very clear. The very last verse he says, but thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's verse 15. This indescribable gift is, of course, Jesus, who, who came uh, to forgive our sin. And it drives uh, and spurs on our own generosity because we see what Christ has done for us. We want to do for God. It is the source of the generosity of our hearts. Now, Paul does this. He, he makes this point in a, in a very roundabout way. And he does so by quoting a number of Old Testament passages through, verse, uh, through, through this passage. And they're a bit obscure, so, but that's why I'm around, to help us look at that. Now, the first quote he makes is from Deuteronomy 15, verse 10, which reads, So give to him, that is, give to God, and don't have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, the Lord will bless you in all your work and everything you do. Now, Deuteronomy 15 is about the Israelite year of remission which we are all very familiar with, and so I'll just skip along. Uh, no, the year of remission happened every seven years. And so we know about the year of Jubilee that happened every seven of seven years, uh, which is where God restores to Israel all the land, all the, you know, everything that the tribes that inherited, they get restored. But between these seven of seven years, uh, the, every seven year there is a year of remission. Now, the year of remission is a year in which the Israelites were instructed to forgive the debts of the other people in Israel out of thankfulness for what God had done for them. So the point is that Paul was making is that every seven years, Israel was supposed to forgive debts and to, in essence, give generously out of their riches to those that are poor in the, in the case of Israel because God saved them out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. And as powerful as that seven-year cycle of freedom was, 
That same cycle of thankfulness should now be a daily pattern for those of us who have been saved in Christ Jesus. Because the salvation that Jesus wrought for us is worth so much more than the salvation that God gave Israel by saving them out of Egypt. The salvation Jesus gives us is freedom from sin. And the thankfulness and the gratitude that we should feel, as evidenced by our generous lives, should far outstrip the generosity of the Israelites. So that's point one. The second quote that Paul makes is from Psalm 112, verse 9. That's the passage Paul refers to in verse 9 of our text. And and the psalm is all about what it means to be righteous. So Psalm 112 gives us this picture of what a righteous person is like. How their life is to be lived. And part of what the righteous person does, part of what their life looks like, is that they give away their money in order to advance God's kingdom here on earth, particularly in relation to giving to the poor. And the righteous man in Psalm 112 is ultimately actually a picture of who Jesus was, of his kind of righteousness. And the righteousness of Christ, says the psalm, endures forever. And so, When we are saved, when we believe in Jesus, when we trust that he has fully paid for our sins, his righteousness is given to us. It becomes implanted in us like the seeds of the farmer. And when that happens, we become people who are characterized by exactly that same type of righteousness that Jesus had. And when we think about it, Jesus ultimately gave away everything that he had for the sake of saving the world. He gave up his glory in heaven to be born, humiliated here in a stable. He gave up the riches that he had as the king of the universe, the one who created it all, in order to come and die in our place. And ultimately, he gave up his life to save us from our sins. And so Paul is arguing that now, when we give of our financial um, blessings, when we give some of what God has given to us for the work of spreading God's kingdom in order that others might be saved, when we do that, we are actually aligning ourselves to be like Jesus. And so when we give generously, we are following in Jesus' footsteps who gave everything he had. That's the second quote from Psalm 112. And the third quote is in verse 10 of our text. And it's actually a combined quote from Isaiah 55 verse 10 and Hosea 12, sorry, Hosea 10 verse 12. Now in both of these passages... Uh, that uh, the, the prophets are talking about how God has provided his word as the seed that would save the world, that would be sown in the world. And so when Paul is quoting these passages, he's hinting that when we sow our seed, so when we give of the, the blessings that God has given us, our money, when we use our money, we are making a deposit in the salvation of other people who will hear the gospel as a result. I think that's quite a powerful image we are sowing a seed through our money 
in order to make a deposit in the salvation of people who will hear the gospel as a result. And so we are to give generously so that the word of God could actually go out into the nation and that the harvest can be harvested. And so that's, that's basically Paul's argument. He says threefold, you've been forgiven much like Israel, so give much. And when, you, when Jesus forgave your sin, he gave everything he had to save you. So now when you give, you are aligning yourself and following in his footsteps. And thirdly, when you give generously to the gospel work, you are sowing the seeds of the gospel and investing in salvation. And I think those are pretty compelling reasons to give generously, I think. But if that was not enough, God actually promises to give us a blessing in, in response to what we give. And so let's look now at, at that, the consequence of generosity. So we've seen the context. Paul was saying give to the church because they need the money to, uh, to continue the kingdom work. And we saw the cause, which is uh, Jesus living in our hearts and us aligning ourselves to him. Now let's look at the consequence. What does God do to those who give? And so I'm reading here from verse 6 to 11. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. And so each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. Now this is staggering and shocking and seems vaguely heretical because we don't talk about money and giving. What is the point? The point, says Paul, is this. When you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. When you sow generously, you reap generously. Shockingly, Paul says that the law of sowing and reaping, the law of the farmer, applies here. The law of sowing and reaping applies to money. Now, we have to be careful. Because churches, well-meaning, good Christian churches, have said, look here, look at, this, look at this text. Look here it says, if you sow lots of money, God will bless you with lots of money. The more you put in, the more God will give you out. That's farmer number one's attitude. He gives not because his heart has been changed, not because he's grateful, but because he's investing in himself. He sees the promise here and thinks, ah, well, I will give to God because God will give to me and it is kind of like a spiritual super fund. How self-serving is farmer one? You're sowing your financial investment now so you can reap financial blessings later, whether that's through new business opportunities or job promotions or whatever. That is what, what there is danger in understanding here. You reap what you sow and so if you sow finances, you reap finances. But that's not what our text actually says. This is where it is helpful to understand the Greek underneath. Because there is no promise here of financial or material wealth down the track. 
Yes, the law of sowing and reaping applies, but not with regards to financial and material wealth. The word translated generously here is eulogia, which is the word we get eulogy from, right? It's a, it means a good word. It is, uh, literally, it, it means blessing. And so the best way to translate this, although it is clunky, verse 6 goes like this. The one who sows sparingly, sparingly he will also reap. And the one who sows blessingly, so generously, but with like a lot, will reap blessings, is actually what it says. But do you see the point? The blessing you reap, maybe it is financial. Maybe it is true that God will bless you financially so that you can give even more. Maybe that's true. But Paul is being generic here on purpose. And actually when you follow the rest of the Paul's argument, the blessing you reap is primarily not financial but actually spiritual. And he gives us two specific ways in which we reap blessings when we give blessingly with generosity. The first blessing we reap is spiritual growth. It says there in, uh, um, uh, in verse 8, God is able to make every grace overflow to you. So this is in response to your sowing generously. He makes every grace overflow to you so that in every way you always have everything you need so that you may excel in every good work. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that when you give, you grow spiritually. The grace that God has already given you in Christ Jesus is, starts overflowing. You, and when you give cheerfully and not out of compulsion, God will provide you with everything you need so that you may have enough to do every good work. In other words, when you give, God gives you what you need to serve him. He grows you spiritually so that you can do the work you need to do for him. Perhaps all of a sudden new opportunities will open up. When you give, you will come across people on your path that otherwise you would never have been able to interact with. When you give, you, you start being used by God to share your faith in a way that was never before possible. Conversations open up and maybe you didn't know how to answer someone who comes and, and talks to you about why is it that you, you voluntarily impoverish yourself for the sake of an institution that is out of date. And all of a sudden you have to wrestle with how do I answer these questions? You say, oh, I don't know. And then I go look it up and now I know and now I can talk to people. God equips you with the blessing, by blessing you with opportunities to serve him. And then you start experiencing real true blessing as you serve God more and more. And as you serve God more and more, you grow more and more spiritually. And it is all kicked off by cheerful giving. And so spiritual growth is one of the biggest blessings you, gave, uh, you get when you sow with blessing. That's number one. Number two is a stronger faith. If you want strong faith, then give generously. Verse 9, as it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What Paul is saying here is that when you give cheerfully and generously, you start to see more and more that God is actually the one who provides. You become farmer number two. 
You look at this massive crop and you realise, well, God can really do whatever he wants, whatever he pleases. It is his, and so he can do with it what he pleases. And he's the one who gave me this massive crop in the first place. He's the one who gave us our money in the first place. He's the one who feeds the poor, he provides the seed, uh, bread for food, and he does all of this. And as, as you give away, you recognise that God will do that also for you. What that does, friends, is it strengthens your faith as God, uh, in God as the provider. Because the more money you give, the less you have. And the less you have, the more you need to rely on God with what you've got left over. And the more you rely on God to provide what you need, the more you see God as the provider of everything you need. And as you go through this cycle, we realize we can actually sacrifice more and more to God, and yet God still provides what we need. Not necessarily what we want, but everything we need. And that cycle strengthens our faith. The consequence of generosity is spiritual growth and a stronger faith. And so we've seen that the cause of our generosity is God's generosity to us. You've been forgiven much, so give much. Jesus forgave your sin, he gave everything to serve you, and so when you give now, you are aligning yourself to following in Jesus' footsteps. When you give generously, you are sowing into the gospel work. And if that wasn't enough, God gives us these blessings when we invest with blessing. He promises spiritual growth, he promises a stronger faith. And that then leaves us just with one question. Are we going to be farmer one or farmer two? Will we look at our, at, our, at our harvest, our money, our bank accounts, our paychecks, look at our harvest and say, yes, I did that. My hard work produced that. Because when we choose to walk down that path, we will not be cheerful givers. That is the begrudging way. Or will we be like farmer number two, who looks at his money in his bank account, his paycheck, his harvest, and say, yes, God did that through me. My hard work has produced, but it has produced for God. That is the path of a cheerful giver. And so really, which will you be? What will characterize your heart? a stingy, begrudging heart, or a generous, cheerful giver. That will depend on where you put yourself in front of God. As one of his chosen, saved, beloved children, or someone for whom Jesus' salvation really doesn't matter. Because that's actually what Paul says. If you are thankful for this gracious and generous gift that you received in Jesus, then you will be generous because your identity has changed. And so if you are not generous, you need to question whether you're actually saved. Let's pray. Lord, we recognise that we as a society are people who are, um, I guess, deeply governed by the idol of money. It's something we don't talk about. It's something we don't wrestle with. It's often something we don't consider. And we are all on a journey with regards to the finances you have entrusted us with. 
Lord, we pray that we will be generous, not just with our money, but with our time, with our skills, with our lives and with uh, everything that you give us. Help us to look at the bountiful harvest and recognise you as the giver of all good gifts. Yes, all the things that we own and all the opportunities we have, the education we have, the, uh, the material wealth we have, the skills we have, but also, Lord, and far more importantly, the salvation we have in Christ Jesus. Through your Holy Spirit, we pray that you will dislodge this idol from our hearts, that we might sow with blessing and also receive the blessing that, that, uh, that you promise. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.